Hello and welcome to this episode of the Triage Method podcast, the final episode in the women's series. I think for most of 2022 so far, um, we've just been talking about women's health, everything related to health, fitness, you know, screening, everything. I like to think we've covered most topics at this point, um, but it can be it can be a lot to put it together. Um, so what we're going to do today, myself and Nicola, is run through a bit of a review session, I guess, where we just run through the, some of the key points with an emphasis on a case presentation at each of the most important um, lifespan points. And I think that would be a good good place to wrap up. With that said, we're going to probably say this multiple times throughout the podcast, but we sim- we've recorded 30 plus hours of content. We simply can't go into detail on every point in a review episode. So if you find that we're, you know, glossing over something, there's almost certainly an episode previously that we've recorded that's an hour plus on the topic in detail. So do make sure that you refer back. All right. So what we'll do is we're going to go through a case of uh, triage Trina. So she'll be tria- or Trina going forward. And basically what we've got are four phases. And we're going to discuss each of these uh, important points in the lifespan, discuss some of the things that might come up. And then obviously we'll touch on the women's specific uh, considerations. Some of these aren't just specific to women, but we've tried to emphasize those. So our first touch point, Trina has come to us for coaching at triage at 20 years of age. She's on a vegetarian diet for health and weight loss concerns. Okay. So she wants to you know, lose a few kilos and she just wants to generally mind her health. So she's on a vegetarian diet. She's also had a recent diagnosis of PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome, and she's now keen to just take steps to look after her health. And, you know, we speak to Trina, we send her the questionnaire, we ask her some questions and she says that she has an irregular menstrual cycle. So she said that it varies in length. You know, sometimes it's uh, two weeks over the average. Sometimes it's average. Sometimes it's a bit under. There's variation in the amount that she's uh, bleeding as well. So there's some variation there. It's irregular. She also experiences bloating and cramps. So some GI symptoms. And in particular, these seem to be worse as she approaches the end of her cycle towards her period. And that's often for her, she says, an indicator in the week prior that, okay, my period's coming soon. And that it impacts her training, it impacts her diet. So it's something that's important for her to bring up. And then finally, she experiences occasional binge eating. She's struggled with her body image a bit, you know, as she's come into her early 20s now. Um, she's had this diagnosis of PCOS. She's gained weight recently. So she's a bit, you know, uncomfortable with her body and she's been struggling with that. And that has led to or been associated with a bit of a binge restrict cycle that she's been trying to address. So as we deal with Trina in this first phase at 20 years of age, what are some, what are some of the things that come to mind for you, Nicola, that we might want to address, think of, consider at this point in time? Yeah. So I suppose with, with Trina, she's had a recent diagnosis of, of PCOS. So that can be a pretty big thing, you know, in, in any woman's life. So it's really going through that diagnosis, um, you know, with her when she was diagnosed, you know, how she's kind of been, been coping with it since, you know, has she gotten kind of enough information um, on PCOS and how we can um, not cure it, but help a lot of the symptoms kind of through diet and exercise. So kind of knowing, you know, what she knows is, is, is important. Um, 
and kind of you know just going going through that with her um so that that'll be the first and foremost then looking at um kind of vegetarian diet so she mentioned there that she's looking at it for for health and weight loss so i really really just kind of you know exploring that with her um again how um you know how far into a vegetarian diet has she gone does she kind of know about um potential nutrient deficiencies that she might be more susceptible to um you know how is she kind of you know managing a vegetarian diet and particularly if it's for kind of reasons for health and weight loss what was her diet like before vegetarian diet um what what is it like now what has she done for for weight loss so those are kind of the first things that 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 i'd be thinking of and particularly when someone says vegetarian diet for health and weight loss um you know are they kind of open to eating maybe a little bit of meat or kind of a little bit of fish um because we know obviously those are you know healthful things um so that that would be kind of first of all what we'd be going through, um, and then for you know menstrual cycle, it, it's good that she kind of notices that you know particularly she's getting the um, bloating um, and the cramping coming up towards her period. You know she know she knows that she's in a regular um, cycle, so that indicates to me that she's probably already tracking her cycle, which is which is fantastic. Um, so we know that that's really important just to kind of get a handle on her symptoms, particularly if her menstrual cycle is irregular. Um, there's still some kind of cues that we can kind of pick up from our body even if it is kind of you know irregular um and then going through the you know the binge eating history is it kind of you know um you know full kind of binge eating or is it kind of overeating kind of on certain foods you know is it kind of more tied to um more emotional eating um you know obviously this is like a big thing um you know being diagnosed with, with pcos um so is there, is there more emotional triggers is it something that maybe trina is leaving um huge gaps of the day where she's not eating any food is she pushing back her meals really far and then you know she's coming home at the end of the day just kind of ravenous um so it's you know exploring those um those kind of bits you know first and foremost absolutely and i think that you know there's there's a lot you touched on there i think the first thing was was probably in relation to pcos and what she knows what we often explore with our clients as well when they've especially when they've got a diagnosis where we know that there's a lot of misinformation out there in terms of what people should do with their diet um i'll always ask about what you know what have what do you understand about the role of diet here what have you been told before because you know we don't know why exactly she started the vegetarian diet and in some cases she might have you know she might have come across some article that said if you eat you know chicken and turkey that this work worsens pcos you know these types of things um there's there's so much misinformation on the internet and on social media that you don't know what someone has come across. So I, I really like to understand where my client is coming from when trying to understand their decision-making. And that will go for both the PCOS and the vegetarian diet in this case, because, you know, I've, I've, I have and have had plenty of clients on vegetarian diets. And once they're, you know, coming at it from an appropriate place, you know, someone might have ethical concerns, environmental concerns, they might find that their diet is just healthier overall because when they're when they remove meat they make more of an effort maybe to eat more uh, beans fibers foods vegetables etc all that i'm totally for but in some cases people have come across you know some articles that said that you know if you eat uh, more than 60 grams of protein or whatever that it's going to harm your health and this, this is the cause of heart disease and all these types of things so i always like clients to make a decision from an informed place rather than one rather than a misinformed place of course and i think pcos and plant-based diets are, are two things that come up there that's really important um i suppose the other thing then 
is that sometimes when people approach changes in their diet, they might they might want it to do more than it can. So for example, in this case, the bloating and the cramps, we kind of want to establish, you know, how how severe is that? Um, like, is this clearly within the realm of the pathological side of things? Maybe something she should speak to her GP about in relation to her PCOS or whoever she's working with. Or is this something that is within the normal kind of PMS range of symptoms that a woman might experience? So that's something that is important to, to try and establish, because in some cases, as we you know get someone on a regular healthful diet, their GI symptoms might improve, but they mightn't go away totally. And I think setting expectations there um, is quite important because, you know, I I think this is something that has proliferated in in recent years that I've I've seen a good few people post about the menstrual cycle. You know, some people saying influencers in particular saying that if you have any symptoms around your menstrual cycle or around menses, your period in particular, that that's a sign of an unhealthy body. But like that's that's a real reach you know like you're the doctor nicola but do you think it's totally realistic for people to live in in a healthy way and get rid of all symptoms around their period is that realistic yeah i think i think where that's where that's coming from is there's there's a lot of women with really debilitating symptoms um, which 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 aren't normal um but you know what's happened which you know happens with everything in in the the fitness world is that it's just kind of swung so far in one direction Mm. And now people are saying that you shouldn't have, you know, any symptoms like we're still experiencing, you know, these, you know, hormonal changes, like literally the lining of your womb is breaking down. You know, the, the you are going to have, you know, most women will have some kind of symptoms, um, but you should be able to relatively be able to go about your day to day life. Yes, um, but not not necessarily symptom free for most women. So at this point in time. Trina, she's 20 years old. So we've discussed her diet. She understands, you know, the pros and cons of a vegetarian diet. She's, you know, trying to do that in a healthful manner. She understands her diagnosis of PCOS. She's liaising with her doctor on that. Um, and we feel like we're we're kind of getting somewhere now. Um, is there anything in particular that I suppose just to touch on before we move on, that you talk to maybe some of your clients about? in relation to the body image side of things, like for a young woman like this, who's maybe struggling a bit with her body image, is there anything in particular that you might discuss or screen for? Yeah, I I, I suppose that the, like the biggest thing in here is, you know, who were like, what are they comparing their their bodies to, particularly with, with a lot of, you know, young girls. And I think if you were to um, scroll through, you know, a lot of girls in between, you know, probably the ages of, you know, 14 and 20 something, if you were to scroll through their Instagram, you know, is it just kind of like different models or fitness models that, that they're scrolling through? And these are the only kinds of, um, you know, bodies that they're, that they're exposed to. Um, so it, it's, it's kind of, you know, um, asking through that, like, what, what are you, what are you comparing yourself to? Are you comparing yourself um, to yourself years ago as well? So like, what's, what is your ideal body image? What does that, what does that mean to you? What does that, um, what does that look like? Why um, do you, do you want to kind of, you know, strive towards that? Um, and like really for, for a lot of women, you know, they'll, they'll come with poor body image, they'll, you know, they might kind of sign up for coaching or, or personal training based on that. And, you know, often kind of just trying to kind of switch the focus from, um, you know, completely kind of, you know, um, body 
body kind of perspective to more kind of, you know, like performance goals in the gym and um, trying to get them to focus on food, you know, like eating in a way that kind of, you know, makes you, you know, feel good and, you know, kind of eating kind of more kind of healthful foods. Um, you know, weight loss is like a part of that as well um, for, for many women, but not just, you know, not just kind of only rewarding weight loss, essentially. Um, so a lot of it can it can can come from that. Um, but just to, I suppose a note to, to, to mention on on the diets kind of before before we move on, both kind of vegetarian, like PCOS, like endometriosis, kind of, you know, most what I say to clients is kind of, you know, most diets like we're we're trying to do the same thing nutrition wise, like for for most people, kind of men, women, for the general population, you know, we're, we're generally looking at, you know, kind of having more fiber in eating a range of kind of, you know, fruits and vegetables, kind of decreasing saturated fat. Um, but so that, like that's kind of in general for, for everyone. Um, but I suppose for, you know, things like PCOS and endometriosis, there a lot of these will help your symptoms so improving the diet in general is going to be helpful and um, particularly for someone like with pcos and metriosis you know if we're really focusing on improving the quality of the diet um that that can and, and, and will um help symptoms so it's just that we're still looking at the same kind of general nutrition guidelines um but there's a few kind of specific reasons kind of why it it, it might be more helpful um for pcos and metriosis etc Perfect. And in the episodes that we did on those respective topics with um, plant-based diets and also PCOS, we we did touch on some more specifics. So if you want some specifics in terms of the, you know, the nutrient side of things, then do go back and listen to those episodes. Absolutely. But for now, I think, you know, we've done a, a good, I guess, initial discussion of, of Trina at age 20. So, you know, she comes back to us. She's 26 now. She's pregnant and she wants to make sure that she trains and eats right for her and baby at this point in time. Okay. So that's her main concern right now. Um, she is concerned about some of the nutrient deficiencies from her diet, potentially harming her baby. So she's heard some things about, I don't know, supplements and, and, and potential nutrient deficiencies that are important in pregnancy. She wants to discuss that. She's also, you know, her body image has improved over, the intervening years so she's you know being to the gym she's feeling you know a bit more confident in herself uh, but now she's kind of at the point where you know she's this is her first pregnancy she wants to have um you know somewhere between two and four children she says and she's worried about the changes permanently on her body she's heard a lot about you know women getting pregnant and never getting back to their fit body so she's a bit concerned about that and then she's also heard about some women with pelvic floor problems. Um, so with her kind of, you know, her work and going to the gym and these types of things, she's concerned that that might be an issue for her. So they are her main concerns at this point in time. So at 26, what are we thinking now in terms of the main things that jump out from that history, I guess you could say, with Trina in this case, Nicola? Yeah. So um, with, with nutrition wise, you know, she's concerned about nutrient deficiencies. Um, she probably has an idea in, in her head of what that looks like or what in her diet um, that she's most concerned about. Is is it not? Is it that she's, you know, not eating enough of certain type of foods or maybe that she's, you know, eating like she's a history of, of binge eating. So maybe that she's worried that she's eating too many kind of, you know, processed foods. So it's it's, it's trying to, um, you know, define from her kind of what 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 she means by that really and kind of what what 
what she thinks is missing. Um, because a lot of the time people will kind of have an idea of themselves, you know, roughly, um, you know, what what um, you know, where where they're lacking in their diet. Um, so looking at that, you know like pre before conception you know we'd be looking at you know taking kind of a folic acid kind of um um supplement um but it you know depending on how kind of far in that, that she's into her pregnancy she probably she'll still should be taking one um a lot of women will take you know a prenatal kind of multivitamin as well um trina if she's still a vegetarian you know is she consuming kind of enough kind of omega-3s maybe she needs to supplement with that um so I suppose evaluating, you know, her, her diet, um, you know, where she is now, like, is she, um, you know, kind of eating enough, um, you know, kind of fruit, veg, plant-based food. She's a vegetarian. So hopefully, um, but, you know, we kind of need, need to be aware of that as well. You know, if she's vegetarian, or is she, is she consuming enough, you know, protein to, to support kind of the growth as well, um, you know, with, um, Trina as well. So she's someone that, you know, kind of originally she'd kind of put on, um, you know, some weight. So is this the case where she now she's trying to kind of, you know, diet during her pregnancy? So just kind of, you know, screening for that just to make sure that she is actually eating enough. Um, so that that would be kind of the, the 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 main concerns, but getting her to do, you know, food diary and then trying to, you know, kind of evaluate kind of what are, I suppose, the kind of low hanging fruit kind of with, with the diet. Absolutely. And then again, kind of coming back to our our assessment of you know what our client knows you know obviously we've discussed the the nutrient side of things there another thing that comes up for some women is you know like what should i do now i've been let's say i've recently been dieting let's say like where should i be going now with my nutrition because sometimes women are exposed to the idea that you know they need to eat for two and you know there's the sometimes excess weight gain but sometimes there's also insufficient weight gain and in someone like this who maybe has a history of dieting she might be very reluctant to you know eat more in order to um, feed for herself and baby so it's important at this point in time to have that discussion um, it's not necessarily something that you're providing an advanced prescription saying like eat exactly this much extra calories because it will change as you move forward um, and that was something we discussed in particular um, with pregnancy related nutrition and rates of weight gain. So that's yeah. something that that is important too. Is there anything else that maybe you've come across online that is a common maybe misconception or myth that women are exposed to in relation to pregnancy nutrition? Yeah. So like you're saying, the eating for two, one, you know, is, 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 is kind of the, the main one there. And actually in the first trimester, you know, it, like we're seeing that we actually don't need any extra calories, you know? Um, and, you know, a lot of women, you know, experience kind of nausea, vomiting, um, you know, some women have kind of disorders where they're just, you know, um, vomiting you know really significantly kind of during the, the start of the pregnancy you know and they still go on to have um you know healthy pregnancies healthy babies so it's not to get kind of too caught up you know in kind of the nitty-gritty um you know even what my my mom my auntie always says she's like we had no, none of these things you know yeah. when we were younger you're like you're all grand you know um so it's, it's just to note that as well kind of don't don't get kind of too caught up or or, or too kind of stressed in in terms of like kind of what's on social media there's everything and everything there um so it is just um you know talking to some talking to other women um talking to kind of someone who you trust you know um and and talking to someone who knows their their, their nutrition kind of first and first and foremost i think is important perfect and then the the next step i suppose is her her worries in relation to 
you know, changes in her body permanently. Um, because there's there's both, you know, I guess there's very valid concerns here, but there's mm-hmm. also some maybe misconceptions as well, because on the on the misconception side of things, some women think that, you know, once they gain weight uh, during pregnancy, they're they're kind of doomed. It's not coming back off. That's just it. That's their new weight, which isn't true. There are barriers for sure, because especially if you're going to have multiple pregnancies in succession, that was something we discussed that, you know, it's very difficult to diet back down, get lean in those periods of time. If you're trying to look after yourself and you're dealing with the stresses of being a new mother, like they're very difficult periods of time. So there are you know, it's it's not like you're just doomed now to weight gain that isn't going to come back off. It can come back off. The same rules apply, I guess you could say, in terms of, you know, if you've gained weight during a pregnancy and you've got extra body fat now, being in a deficit and following our standard nutrition guidelines are still going to work. It's just that there's a diff- additional barriers in place that make that a little bit more difficult. So don't feel doomed by that. But with that said, you know, there are in some cases changes that have a bit more permanence and don't just relate to the dietary side of things. And that would include things like uh, stretch marks, for example, um, things like diastasis recti, um, that can happen in some cases. What else do we have? Loose skin as well, variable effect. Um, And again, depends on, you know, the magnitude of weight gain. Um, You know, is it, is it one baby? Is it a big baby? Is there a lot of amniotic fluid? Is there two babies? So these are all different variables that are to some degree out of your control. Um, And, you know, there's not all that much that you can do about all those things. Women's bodies change to variable degrees during pregnancy. And in some cases after pregnancy, body fat distribution might even change a little bit in some cases. So, you know, it mightn't come off in the same places. These types of things can happen. So at least from my perspective, and obviously I'm very detached from this, I'll never be pregnant. I think that one of the most important messages I try to share to people in relation to anything they can't control is that let's try to focus all all or most of our attention on the variables that are within our control and try to at least make some sort of plan in relation to those things. You know, for example, like the nutrition side of things like training, et cetera, so that if we have our attention there and we can make progress there, we mightn't focus so much then on the maybe the stretch marks or whatever it is that we can't control. So mm-hmm. what do you think about that, Nicola? Is there anything else that, that comes to mind there? Yeah, like it's, it's you know, it's, it's a concern for a lot of women. Um, and it's something that that's that's really difficult and going to be really, you know, in, individual from woman to woman. Like your body's gone through, a, you know, a huge ch- change. It's done an absolutely, you know, incredible thing. And I think even like I was saying, even going back to, you know, social media, you know, trying to follow, you know, other other mothers, other new mothers yeah. is important. Again, talking to other women who've, who've had who've had children um, and just trying to kind of normalize the, these changes as well, um, you know, and not um, not thinking about trying to get your your, you know, pre baby body back. You know, it's you, you know, your body has changed and it is just kind of going more towards acceptance of that that's not saying that you know, you can't, you know, um, you know, lose weight kind of postpartum or anything like that, or that you still can't work on, you know, body composition goals or anything like that. But it is still, it is still a change in your body. And it is just, it is trying to, you know, um, be more accepting towards that. And that'll take time and practice really. Absolutely. 
And then I suppose the final step for, for Trina, at least at this point at 26, is that she's got some concerns about pelvic floor problems. You know, she thinks that that might be an issue. And I suppose one of the things that comes to mind for me here is that some of this, some of this is, is difficult to predict in that if it's your first pregnancy, you don't exactly know how it's you know going to go because you can have variable degrees of you know perineal tears for example in some women um you, you might have to you don't know if it's going to be a vaginal delivery or cesarean section there's all these different things that are kind of unknowns at this point in time and if you haven't had a baby previously you know there's there's there just are a lot of unknowns um with that said you know pelvic floor dysfunction and pelvic floor um exercises or rehab etc are you know legitimate concerns and things that can actually be be addressed and you know it might be something that you work on in the postpartum period but is there any kind of general advice or things that come to mind here in relation to the pelvic floor yeah so the the, the pelvic floor is one of those things that you know there's women go through these all different all these different life stages you know kind of you know pregnancy menopause etc um and a lot of women you know don't know about you know what the changes through pregnancy or menopause um because they're like you know I'm not there yet I don't need to know it um, but really I'd encourage women to to know what you know the, the steps that are involved and in, you know all these different life stages and particularly you know pelvic floor dysfunction it isn't kind of limited to um you know women that are kind of that have had kids that are women that are going through menopause you know it there is um you know there is like a high prevalence in you know kind of um sports as well you know um so it is something that you know we kind of know everyone knows kind of the word kegels um but we don't really know what goes into kind of training um our pelvic floor so with with trina um you know there are things that she can do you know kind of while she's pregnant even before she's pregnant and it's just about getting more um you know kind of i suppose in touch with you with your pelvic floor kind of knowing what it kind of feels like to kind of contract it relax it um because most women kind of don't um and it might only be something that they're kind of getting in touch with you know when there's an issue um and when there's an issue really when there's pelvic floor dysfunction it is something that you want to see a specialist for okay it is some what you know that you want to um you know get fully addressed it's kind of beyond kind of the scope of a personal trainer really to be diagnosing or treating pelvic floor dysfunction um but that's not to say that you can't you know do exercises um to to again just kind of have more more of a connection with it and a lot of that is um you know even just trying to get used to kind of breathing kind of down into the stomach so just kind of getting connected with your breath a lot of women only kind of breathe into your chest into their chest and you'll kind of notice this you know, even doing kind of personal training when you're trying to get them to kind of brace their core and they just take a big breath into their chest, you know, um, and a lot of that comes from, you know, us trying to kind of, you know, suck in, kind of, you know, make yourself smaller. Um, so we're not used to kind of breathing in through, through, through in, into our belly and that kind of sucking in as well just kind of creates this kind of, you know, downward pressure kind of onto the pelvic floor, um, which can just kind of make it quite, quite contracted. Um, so a lot of it is is kind of you know kind of breathing exercises, um, learning how to to contract it, um, and release it is is a good start kind of before that there before there's a, any kind of dysfunction. Absolutely, and there are actually physiotherapists as well that specialize in okay. um, pelvic floor dysfunction and and pelvic pain as well because it's not just it's not just the dysfunction in terms of its function, but also in terms of uh, pain. You know, women can have pelvic yeah. pain that might require dressing as well. Obviously you know, as she goes through pregnancy 
and we discussed this in detail you know there are other musculoskeletal concerns as well um there are changes in the body in terms of its implications for training and things like that so if you want more detail on that do refer back to the the full episode on on training in pregnancy so Trina has, you know, had her baby for later and now she's on to phase three. So she's 35 years of age now. She now has a family. She lives at home with her husband and three kids, nine, six and two. And she works part time in a relatively sedentary job. Okay, so her primary goal at this point in time is to ensure she's healthy for the decades to come. She wants to be an active mom. She's, you know, been keeping active and she her kids are getting into sport and she wants to make sure that she can keep up. Um, she's also had a recent review at the GP, which suggested pre-diabetes. Okay, so she's gained uh, 15 kilos since having her first baby at 26. So she's had three babies. She also had um her diagnosis of pcos so we need to remember that in this context as well of pre-diabetes and she's strength training which has been going well uh, she wants to take her training up a notch and wonders if she should be periodizing her training around her cycle she's you know read a few things about female specific training and her job is working as a receptionist just kind of sitting all day so it's mostly sedentary so as we get to this stage 35 years of age what are the things that jump out for you here, Nicola, with Trina that maybe we might want to change in our plan of action or review further? Yeah, well, first of all, you know, it's, I mean, acknowledging it's great that, you know, she's still doing strength training, you know, she's yeah. still staying really active. Like that's, you know, absolutely amazing. Um, So, you know, that kind of first and foremost. And then, you know, again, trying to get rid of some kind of like low hanging fruit. So if she's, you know, hotel receptionist kind of sitting all day, what's her general activity like? You know, is it just that she's kind of, um you know kind of training home you know kind of work kind of what what's her kind of other activity like is she doing any kind of you know cardiovascular training kind of along with that as well um and then yeah so so yeah so if she's 15 kg up so we want to kind of you know take a look um you know at at her diet particularly kind of with the the pre-diabetes um diagnosis so people with pcos women with pcos are you know more likely are higher risk of developing diabetes so it's important to um address this now um so the first thing that i'd be looking at again is 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 her dietary um quality you know has kind of the binge eating improved um you know what's her the big thing with with pcos well what gets kind of a lot of the headlines is 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 carbohydrates um and that's just because um pcos you know the can be um, associated with kind of hyperinsulinemia. So a lot of kind of, you know, insulin kind of in your blood, kind of not going in, in, into the muscles, into the other cells, into the cells. Um, so looking, you know, um, there's a lot of um, people kind of mostly look at kind of the, the quantity of carbs that, that women are trying to consume. Um, but really we want to also kind of look at the, the quality. So is, is Trina kind of mostly eating kind of, you know, simple carbohydrates, you know, is she consuming a lot of kind of whole grains, kind of veggies, um, and then, so what we want to do is make sure that the diet is kind of prioritized with that, looking at a general intake of under kind of 45% of her, of her overall calories. Um, and then what I say for a lot of women with PCOS as well is trying to kind of prioritize carbohydrates around her training as well. Um, so she's doing strength training, which is amazing. So trying to have her more kind of carb heavy meals kind of around then. Um, so particularly with the, the pre-diabetes diagnosis, you know, kind of we're looking at, yeah, the, so was her glycemic load. Um, so we're looking at that and as well, you know, kind of singer that, you know, losing weight kind of will help with that as well. 
Um, so obviously looking at over um, overall kind of energy intake too. Um, so just trying to kind of tie up the, the, those kind of few things, um, you know, as well, her cardiovascular fitness um, and that if she's able to kind of implement all those things, um, you know, you will see an improvement there. Excellent. Um, I don't think I have too much else to, to add to that, really. Um, the one thing that comes up then, you know, is the, the strength training side of things. So she's, you know, concerned about should she be doing anything specific in terms of women's training um, or periodizing her cycle or, or periodizing her training around her cycle, etc. And, you know, we discussed this in, in a good bit of detail previously, but the main thing to understand here is that there's not one way of, you know, training for a woman and there's not one way of training uh, around your menstrual cycle. There are kind of hypotheses one can make about performance changes during the cycle. Um, and we discussed those, but the thing is there's not only variability in between women in terms of how they experience their menstrual cycle, but there's also variability from cycle to cycle. So how you feel this month might be the same as how you feel uh, next month. And that's going to vary then throughout the lifespan. So the, those, those types of things make trying to make, make, make making predictive changes very, very difficult um, in advance. So we don't generally recommend any kind of fixed changes in training around the cycle. Um, one of the things I would probably put in place most frequently would be maybe just pulling back um, on training volume a little bit towards um, around the time of her period. If she is, especially if she's having significant symptoms, fatigue, difficulty recovering, more soreness, etc. So you might pull back a little bit in association with that. But other than that, we're not making major changes around the cycle. And there's not much evidence really that there's much of a benefit to doing this. Um, even some of the performance changes seem to be relatively inconsistent. So I don't think we're at a point where, you know, the evidence is there for any specific training approach. Ultimately, what we want is that um, she's progressing in her training and that she's not, you know, pushing herself when she doesn't need to push herself. So, she, you know, if she's going into the gym with, you know, bloating, cramping, pelvic pain, really high fatigue and still trying to do her hardest workouts, then that might be something we modify. But other than that, I don't think there's anything major really that we're going to be changing here. What do you think? Yeah, no, I, I'd agree with all that. Like I, I do still like, you know, get my girls to track their cycle mm -hmm. um, and track kind of their, their training kind of along with it. And, you know, the, the studies, like you're saying, are in, they're brilliant, um, you know, and it, it's great that they're being done. Um, but at this moment in time, you know, we can't make any recommendations. Um, but that doesn't mean that, you know, if you're tracking your cycle and you're noticing, um, you know, kind of, you know, after a couple of months, if you're noticing, you know, a recurrent pattern, that there's not ways that, that you can can, you know kind of understand your cycle how it kind of reacts with training um throughout the cycle so that that's important because there might be recommendations that you can make off your own data um but again you know that does change um but yeah i'd agree with what you said is is maybe kind of peeling back on a little bit of volume in the second half of the cycle but again that's not necessary for everyone and depends on on the intensity already but yeah there's no 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 big recommendation um that we can make Absolutely. Um, 
and you already said you know that if she's if she's sitting all day um, as a hotel receptionist especially in the pre-diabetes context we might want to try to um, implement more cardiovascular training or what we could do is maybe just recommend some activity breaks if possible you know is there a break in the day where you have a bit less work you can walk around the hotel you know go outside for 10 minutes these types of things can be really helpful and i think particularly around meal times that's something that we see in terms of blood glucose regulation that if someone can go for a, even a very brief walk after a meal that tends to be really helpful for blood glucose regulation so she's not you know it's not overt diabetes she's just in that position where maybe it could go in that direction so some of these simple changes can be really effective at this point yeah so i think we're pretty happy there she's she's doing well um and we follow up again you know at 50 and she's now you know reaches menopause um she's at a point where her kids are kind of transitioning into adulthood now and building lives of their own um, and she's kind of looking forward now into her later years and thinking about right what should i what should i be most concerned about here with my health she's quite a health conscious person and she notes that there's a family history of osteoporosis that has her concerned about what might lie ahead for her um because she's she has been on a plant-based diet now for um 30 years or so so she's thinking is this increasing my risk what should i be should i be concerned here um she's also having some you know, moderate to severe symptoms associated with menopause. So she's reporting that her hot flashes are becoming very severe and making it very difficult at work because they've been increasing in frequency. And then finally, she's, you know, been to her GP recently and noted an elevation in her LDL cholesterol, which was, you know, not too high, but just above the normal range, um, along with the mild elevation in blood pressure. And because of her positive family history for cardiovascular disease on her father's side, um, you know, he had a heart attack and then a stroke on her mother's side. She's just a bit concerned that maybe she should look after this. So the, the cardiovascular disease, osteoporosis, they're her main concerns in terms of future health and then also those hot flashes. So are there are these legitimate concerns? Should she be concerned? What do you think? Yeah, so this is, you know, kind of, and just echoing back to one of the points that I made earlier and why we had, you know, like, you know, Trina through through the lifespan is that, you know, we can kind of tend to compartmentalize, you know, um, you know, women's health is like, you know, kind of, you know, menopause, pregnancy, they don't apply to me. So I'm not going to learn about them. Not that I don't need to learn about them now. And a lot of women will, you know, go into a lot of research about their pregnancy and like postpartum. Um, but menopause is kind of one of those ones that, you know, even women going through the menopause just avoid you know just they you know they don't want they don't want to know about it um and so that, that like there's a lot of kind of really important things here so again like asking Trina like what what does she know about the menopause what does she know about the symptoms what does she know about the changes the things maybe the the increased health risks that she might be kind of more susceptible to um and again kind of two kind of red flags there are the family history of um osteoporosis and the family history um of cardiovascular disease as well um, so again, we went into a lot of detail about these kind of in, in, in the last episodes. Um, so, you know, we are at an increased risk of, you know, osteoporosis, osteoporosis, osteoporosis related fractures as well. Um, you know, when we're going through the menopause, average age of menopause in Ireland is 51. So she's, you know, likely, you know, going through, gone through the perimenopause as well, that kind of lead up to the menopause, particularly when you're experiencing a lot of symptoms. Um, so, you know, 
like does she know that she's an increased risk of um, osteoporosis related fractures she knows she's an increased risk of cardiovascular disease um so kind of pre-menopause you know we have a lower risk than men and then uh post-menopause where we're kind of it's an even even playing field um so it's kind of you know important to know those things because again if we if we don't we're we're less likely to do something about it um so with her family history of osteoporosis and the plant based diet you know again we want to be looking at kind of low hanging fruit is she kind of eating enough protein you know to kind of support her bones also her muscles as well um you know is she having enough um calcium kind of vitamin d is she doing um strength training hopefully she's trina's kept it on up until this point you know doing strength training introducing some kind of impact training as well so you know kind of low intensity kind of like plyometrics that that sort of thing again just to truly kind of you know strengthen those bones um and then you know if she has had any fractures or if there is something that she's concerned about if she has any other kind of you know risk factors um you know she could be um you know go to her gp and be referred for for a dexa scan if it is something that she's you know i'm really worried about or if there is a big family history there um yeah i suppose like the the strength training is a really important one and it's a it's a very strong protective factor here especially that like she's been strength training since 20 years of age so that's really really important and again emphasizes your point about considering the whole lifespan uh, because often it gets to the point where people start to think about what should i do about my bone mass when it's flagged as an issue and really the earlier on you're doing these things like strength training for example like the more bone mass you're going to lay down in the first place and as a result the more you have to lose in order for it to be a problem so again lifespan very important and particularly going into um your older years and you know i'm not saying not 50 50 isn't old but even you know 70s 80s 90s we have accumulating evidence now of strength training trials being used in these populations that are both safe and effective um so keep up that strength training and if she can keep it into the 70s 80s 90s that'll be fantastic um the other thing here then i suppose is in relation to the the hot flashes that she's experienced as you said you know kind of perimenopausal period is, is when these symptoms seem to be greatest and for her it is there anything you think that, you know, could be done? Is she, would she be a candidate for hormone therapy? What do you think about her, where she's at? Yeah. So, you know, it was talking to Trina and seeing if, you know, like, again, if the hot flashes are really severe, you know, talking to her about, you know, menopause, um, hormonal therapy. Um, and again, what what's her kind of... Um, you know preconceived ideas about that and if that's something that you'd be interested in again it's not something you know as a personal trainer and um, that you'd be recommending um but again the more you know um, the more you can discuss it with her um and you know that she can discuss with, with her gp which, which is you know important um but you know um yeah menopausal hormonal therapy you know is is, is brilliant for for hot flashes you know so um you know we're looking at that and then you know if maybe if she's if she's not a candidate for it um you know you, we can look at kind of lifestyle factors that might kind of be helpful so you know whether she's kind of um you know drinking a lot of alcohol 
um, whether she's drinks a lot of, you know, caffeine kind of, you know, spicy foods, they can all be triggers for, um, you know, hot flashes. Um, and then again, kind of general advice on, you know, trying to, you know, sleep in, in a cooler room, um, you know, kind of like clothes, like blanket, um, et cetera. But the, but yeah, like, you know, if, if she's having really debilitating symptoms, I think, you know, talking to her GP is, is going to be the thing that's going to make the biggest difference the fastest. Absolutely. And then finally, the on the cardiovascular disease side of things, so she's noticed this increase in um, LDL cholesterol along with mild elevation blood pressure. She's obviously going through the menopause. She's got positive family history. So there's a, obviously the prediabetes then as well. There's a few different things coming together that might, you know, flag that here as, okay, this is a cardiovascular disease risk is important uh, for Trina and something that might require addressing. Um this obviously starts from the, the dietary side of things, you know, in terms of uh, how has her diet been? Has it changed over the years? Has she maintained her kind of plant-based diet? Is that looking like a high quality plant-based diet or is it more of a westernized plant diet? You know, is, is she consuming a lot of, I guess, you know, pre-packaged plant-based foods that might have lots of salt in them? Um, is she consuming lots of plant-based foods that are high in saturated fat? These types of things that we might want to screen for at this point to see are there clear dietary risk factors for these mild elevations um, that, that we're seeing. So that's that's probably the first part there. Um, we know that she's still exercising. We're hoping that she's still active. So, you know, we're taking care of the lifestyle side of things. And then I suppose just one thing to note that I think is important. There, there does seem, seem to be... Um, at least in there's not that much research on this, but from what I last read anyway, there does seem to be a bit of discrepancy in terms of um, treatment of cardiovascular risk factors between the sexes. So when you see people um, are men and women leaving hospital at discharge, um, less women tend to be on appropriate, uh, you know, statin and antihypertensive therapy. Um, at least that seems to be the case. That might be an artifact of, you know, the idea that cardiovascular disease is kind of typically thought of as being a, a, a man's disease. Um, but that's that's not the case. Um, a lot of women are impacted by heart disease. So that's something that might be worth, you know, considering. Um, again, as I said, it's not so clear why exactly that discrepancy exists or if it always exists in your country, for example, but it is definitely something to be aware of because I, I, I do think even just in the general public, like this might be just be down to like awareness campaigns. You know, people think, oh, well, like what, what hurts women? Oh, breast cancer or cervical cancer and then what hurts men uh heart attacks whereas that's just it's it's not true at all i'm pretty sure that heart disease in women is still kills more people than breast cancer is that correct yeah it's it's, it's yeah. the highest cause of mortality in, in postmenopausal women yeah yeah um so very important thing to be aware of here um so that that again is is that point at which discussion with gp is so important um you know, is a is statin therapy appropriate here? Are antihypertensives appropriate here? You know, she's she's just showing mild risk factors, but the risk factors themselves in isolation don't necessarily determine therapy. So it's the overall um, risk equation, including the positive family history, including the postmenopausal period, all these types of things. So again, that's a, a discussion for the GP. But if you're a personal trainer, you and you know you're being told about that risk. It might just be something that you consider in terms of the 
frequency and volume of cardiovascular training that's done advice around activity and then advice around um, dietary fiber intake, whole grains, low saturated fat, etc. Brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. And just, yeah. Point, point to note about that is, yeah, like you're saying, like when I think a lot of it is just awareness, mm-hmm. um, like women are less likely to, you know, kind of be di- diagnosed when they're having a heart attack, you yeah. know, um, then, then men. And again, it just comes down to, it's not if a woman comes in with chest pain, it might just be down to, you know, other, other factors. It's not kind of the first thing that a lot of people think about, um, you know, when, when a woman comes in with chest pain, so there, there's, they're, yeah, they're less likely to be diagnosed. So that's why it's such a, a big cause of mortality. One of the reasons why it's mm-hmm. such high mortality. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, that's Trina at 50. Is, is there anything else that maybe you'd like to cover in relation to her at this point in time? Um, obviously we could do, you know, 60, 75, 90. Um, but these are kind of, I suppose, the big life stages that are more unique for women that we wanted to cover. Um, because that's what we covered in the podcast. You know, we will obviously have more episodes that are specific to elderly populations generally. That's definitely something we want to cover. Um, but I think for now that that probably covers most of it. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, just, you know, staying active across the lifespan is, is, is one, one of the biggest things, you know, um, you know, you know, any kind of form of activity, um, but like particularly, you know, strength training, just still, you know, trying to kind of get more women into strength training across the lifespan and even you know it's it's not you know too late to kind of pick that up at 50 60 70 you know like some sort of form of weight bearing exercises are going to be really really beneficial um so you know it's encouraging kind of your friends it's encouraging your mom um you know to it doesn't ha- it doesn't have to look like you know training in the gym and uh, you know kind of having using whatever kind of equipment you have at home um you know can make a big difference Absolutely. And I think that, you know, in particular with with strength training in relation to the osteoporosis, I think a lot of people throw that to the side as a concern until it's very late because people don't appreciate why that might be important because you don't really it's so detached from you at this point in time, let's say in your 20s and 30s, thinking about you know, what a fracture might do to you in your seventies and eighties, but you know, you've seen these in the hospital. Uh, I'm sure many times when people get things like hip fractures, um, even, you know, spinal, uh, vertebral fractures, these types of things, they can be very debilitating, debilitating. They can have massive impacts on your quality of life. And not only that, um, especially when it comes to things like hip fractures, they're also associated with a very high mortality rate. And you probably don't think of that when you're young because it's like, oh, well, it's it's just a fracture. People get fractures and then they get a cast and it heals. But it's a lot more complicated when you're already elderly. And especially when it comes to the, the interaction there between sarcopenia and osteoporosis, where if you've got, you know, low levels of muscle mass, then you get a fracture, then you're, you know, immobilized now you're losing more muscle and now your function is permanently affected. So some, you know, elderly people will go from being able to mobilize and and be independent themselves to having a fracture, having complications, losing muscle, losing strength, getting an infection in hospital. And they can either, that can either be fatal or they might be very dependent on others now for the remainder of their life. So that there's that, there can be huge events like that, that are really, really important. So I guess the message there is, 
the earlier you start strength training, um, the better. Um, and of course, other factors are, are important in osteoporosis as well, like the dietary side of things. But um, think about it early. Don't don't leave it too late. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and and as well with, with nutrition, you know, like I was saying, that you know a lot of the the recommendations are general for for a lot of the population. Yeah. Um, the thing is, like I was saying, with PCOS and metriosis, some of the menstrual um cycle like issues, that you know they're they're kind of more specific with them because they can kind of help with the symptomology. Um, but really, kind of you know what what I say to a lot of the women that I train, you know, if if they're having um you know issues kind of with food, maybe if it's kind of you know binging, they're also looking kind of for for weight loss. Um, is, is sometimes trying to actually instead of kind of having weight loss as kind of the first kind of primary goal trying to improve kind of diet quality first you know and then kind of look looking at weight loss um because the thing is is that you know if if our diet is crap and again going back to someone who's you know vegetarian but having you know this kind of like westernized version of a vegetarian diet where they're just having these kind of you know meat substitutes in the whole time um, you know, like your diet's going to catch up with you eventually. And, you know, kind of when you're younger, um, you know, you can get away with it a lot more. Um, and that's why things like it, it's more kind of prominent in endometriosis, PCOS, when when someone's diet is crap, you know, um, but it will catch up with people um, eventually. So it is kind of trying to prioritize kind of diet quality um, and then kind of, you know, not necessarily, you can do the two at the same time. Um, but if, if you're not kind of, you know, managing kind of weight loss and, 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 and dietary quality at the same time, you know, I, I would, well, not again, depends on the person, but definitely looking at the quality first. hundred percent. So that covers everything. All you need to know about <laughs> health in, in one review podcast. No, in all seriousness, guys, if, if, if maybe, maybe this is the first episode you listened to and, and you enjoyed it. And if so, then do go back and listen to um, the whole series, which would be great, or at least pick the episodes that maybe are most relevant to you or most of interest. I do think this is a, a very important area. I think that, um, as you said, a lot of a lot more women are getting into uh, strength training over time. A lot more women are present in the gym, all of which is fantastic. Um, but for personal trainers, uh, particularly given it's a male-dominated industry, it is important to you know dig a bit deeper on some of these topics and and try to understand both the personal lived experience, I guess you could say, and the more um, medical physiological aspects of being a woman. So um, I think that covers everything. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed the series if you've, been, if you've been listening all along and uh, we look forward to the next one. So if you enjoyed the podcast, as I said, uh, please do recommend it to others, share it with others, listen to more episodes, leave a rating and review. That'd be fantastic. We also have a newsletter. Uh, that we put out so if you subscribe to the triage method newsletter you get exclusive content along with the latest podcast content recommendations etc to your inbox we also offer coaching so if you'd like to work with myself nicola or other members of the triage team we do have spaces available when you can apply below we have the coaches corner which is an educational platform it will be evolving soon it's not going to be there for too long so if you want to access the content you can subscribe again below and of course follow us on our social media at triage method you'll find all of the uh, coaches at triage on the triage page lots of content across multiple platforms so make sure that you're following so we'll see you guys in the next one thanks very much for joining me nicola and we'll see you soon